0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Movies with G-Rose. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode all about The Conjuring Universe. Me and Jimbo sat down and talked about that. And uh, after the podcast was recorded, we both went and saw The Conjuring 3. And we talk about that a little bit in here, so stay tuned for that. Um, I Oh, as you can see, I'm in a brand new home, a new apartment. if you watch the podcast or watch me on twitch.tv slash with G Rose, you'll be seeing this room a lot more. Um, I stream a lot more often than I do these podcasts because it's quite frankly, it's easier. But <clears throat> go ahead. Check me out there. Um, I also made a TikTok, Tried that out posted a TikTok of just a snippet from the podcast and it got like a thousand views in one day. So I'm probably going to keep doing that. Just hopefully some more people come over from there. Um, if you're listening on a podcast app, check out the YouTube video. Um, I do video calls with my guests now and, um, might be a little bit more interesting than just the audio. Um, but conversely, if you're watching this on YouTube and you're thinking, "Man, I wish I was just... I wish I had the audio version for a car ride or for work or something," you can find the episode anywhere. Um, feel free to drop a like or write it five stars or whatever. This week we're going to be talking about Tarantino. Um, the me and Jimmy sat down again and we talk about all of the Tarantino films and we got about halfway through his filmography before we realized that this is probably going to be a two-parter. So this is part one, part two will be the next episode. Um, Just like I said, we, we, there's a lot to talk about here. There's a reason that Tarantino is, you know, one of the biggest directors ever, ever period, Um, especially of our generation. But yeah, if you like Tarantino, I hope you enjoy this podcast. Um, Little disclaimer, there was something wrong with my, headset for this episode um I, it was either the usb port or the bluetooth on my pc but something interfered with the mic so um there's some popping crackling noises i do apologize for that i uh, i tried my best to fix it in post but i could only do so much so with that being said i hope you enjoy the episode and i hope you come on back for part two i'll see you after what's up dude welcome back to another episode What's of up? Movies of G-Rose.
1: What's up, G Rose? How's it going?
0: It's going all right. I know today we're talking about Tarantino, but um mm-hmm. the last time we talked, we talked about the conjuring universe. And since yep. then we both saw the new one. And I don't oh, yeah. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but um I, I know that you generally liked it. I know you generally didn't. Yeah, I mean we can leave it at that if you want. I thought it was okay, but I, just <laughs> I, figured... I liked
1: it. The scares weren't amazing, but I thought the story was pretty good. It was, uh, it was a little anticlimactic for the trilogy, but um, I think it was a decent movie overall. I enjoyed watching it, and I'll watch it again one day. You
0: know, yeah, come I, October. Okay, yeah, I, I think the scares were the worst part of it as well. So yeah. that's actually not like. It's a weird criticism for a horror movie.
1: I liked that they went in kind of a new direction. Like other movies were like pretty traditional, you know, haunted house movies. Right. I, I think we can agree on that. They were pretty traditional. But um, the fact that this one went in more of a detective mo- movie kind of a route. Yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. I thought that was kind of a, a unique little twist. I can't really think of a lot of horror movies that have done that, so I thought that was kind of cool.
0: For sure, I think yeah. it
1: worked pretty well.
0: It was decent. Um. So speaking of Tarantino, I wanted to kind of start by asking you: Do you remember your first like Tarantino experience? Like,
1: I actually, I actually do. Okay. Um, and Let it's very you. specific. So, um was the night before i got my wisdom teeth out okay okay (laughs) it was probably eight or nine p.m and um i couldn't drink water at that point because you know you can't when you're going into surgery you you can't eat or drink for a certain amount of time before then right right um so you know I'm, i'm already feeling maybe i'm just in my head a little bit but i'm already feeling like oh i'm thirsty Oh, man, I wish I could drink some water. Um, and my dad suggests that we watch Inglorious Bastards. So it's him, me, and my brother. And uh, this is the first time I'd ever seen a Tarantino movie that I can remember. And so I must have been 18, I think. Okay. So like, like five years ago, I want to say. Um and we put on *Inglorious Bastards, and I'm watching it, and the entire movie, up until a certain point, and I think you know which point, up until a certain point, I thought this was, like, historical, like, I thought it was historical, like, I thought this was a real like, Jewish battalion in World War II. I was like, oh, this is, like, set in history. Like, this is something that actually happened. And I was like, oh, you know, maybe some things were dramatized. But, like, I thought this was a real thing. Up until the point where, uh, you know, uh, they kill Hitler. Yeah. By, like, burning him alive in a theater or bit whatever a, they did.
0: Bit of a Their giveaway.
1: Ne- yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, wait a second. That's not what happens. So... um but i loved it i was like that's that's really cool but you liked the movie Yeah, i got my uh yeah oh yeah loved it um next day i got my wisdom teeth out i didn't end up actually going under that's a story for another time okay stayed awake the whole time which i think is the most tarantino way to do it
0: yeah you definitely did it did it in his honor um
1: yeah so what's your uh What's your first Tarantino experience?
0: Well, see, I don't, I don't remember if this was specifically the first time I saw a Tarantino movie, but I definitely have a very vivid memory of one specific night where I – we were both in a fraternity in college, and I remember one night going over there, and a bunch of guys were crowded in a room um, just like drinking and stuff. And they decided to have a Tarantino night where they were going to uh-huh. watch like multiple Tarantino movies. And the night is honestly a bit of a blur, but I remember watching Kill Bill one, Pulp Fiction, um, maybe Kill Bill two. We ran through a few different movies. And again, I don't remember if that was the first time I want to say that was the first time I saw Kill Bill, but maybe not Pulp Fiction, but regardless, That's kind of like my first memory of like Tarantino, really, and I enjoyed the movies a lot. It it was probably the best kind of environment, and I'm sure we'll touch on this later. But you know, watching Tarantino with a group full of guys while you are half drunk is, I I I think that's kind of the target demographic right there. So I had a ton of fun, Um, and since then I've had um mostly positive but mixed opinions on his films and um yeah i guess i guess we can we can go from there i kind of wanted to touch on um a little bit of his like history and stuff before we dive into the movies because you know tarantino as much of a meme as he kind of is he is seen as being like one of like the biggest directors of our generation, you know, whether or not you yeah. love all of his films, he's definitely like, he he's an auteur, you know what I mean? He, he writes yes. and directs pretty much all of his films and, um, and yeah, so, and, and he's just like, he's one of those directors where he clearly wants a very specific thing out of his films. And he works very hard to achieve that specific style and feel, yeah. um, um, but yeah, he so he began his independent filmmaker career in ninety two with Reservoir Dogs. Um and it he actually partly funded that from his screenplay True Romance, which I've never seen, but I think that it's like a noir film. I don't know if you've heard of it. I've heard it's yeah, pretty I've heard good. Of it. I have not seen it. So, so he, like, wrote that screenplay, he got some cash off of it, and then he made his first, like, independent film, which was Reservoir Dogs. Um, and then his second film was Pulp Fiction in 94, which obviously Pulp Fiction was the one that, like, propelled him into success. Like, it won numerous awards. Um, it it won Academy Award for Best Screenplay. Um, and then he wrote the screenplay for From Dusk Till Dawn, which I haven't seen I don't, I don't, he didn't direct it. I don't believe he just did the screenplay for it. Oh, that and, was
1: Robert Rodriguez. And I think he starred in it. it too, right? starred in it. Well, yeah. Okay. Oh man, uh, I, I wish you, was, I wish you'd seen that because I've got a lot to say.
0: Yeah, okay. And then, um, and then he went on to do Kill Bill Volume 1. Um He did Inglorious Bastards, Django, um, Hateful Eight, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And throughout those, he had some interesting, um, some interesting drama. I guess you could say there's a lot of history around Tarantino that some people may or may not know. What's the word I'm looking for? Not drama, um, like scandal. I guess. Yeah, you could say that. I guess. So, one of the biggest um, scandals that he faced was with uma thurman who starred in kill bill and there was this big incident in kill bill volume one where um instead of having a stunt driver drive a car tarantino insisted that uma thurman drove the car herself and she pushed back on it again and again she really really didn't want to do it when you watch the movie and the shot is in the movie, like it's just a shot at the back of her head. Like she clearly didn't need to be in it. And sure enough, she like crashes into a tree as part of the scene. And she ended up with like long-term injuries because of it. And so like, that wow. was a big scandal where like Uma Thurman refused to work with him. Um, they had a huge falling out. And to this day, like she hates his guts. Um, so that was a pretty big issue. Um, there's also videos of like people coming up to Tarantino or like paparazzi coming up to him and and he's just kind of like an asshole. And he's like, oh, I'll whip your ass up and down the street. And he's like acting like way tougher than he is. Um, right. And it's it's these little clip. It's these little stories that you hear that kind of add to, I think, the big picture of like who Tarantino really is. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I mean, Tarantino himself, like as a person, he's this awkward little weirdo, this Nerd. awkward little creepy weirdo yeah like th- this, this troll
0: person yeah. he's i mean um, dude he's obsessed with putting feet in his films like basically yeah. every tarantino movie has has bare women feet in the focus of every the frame time. like yeah. it's not just in the scene it's like yeah. there's shots in every movie where it's like the focus of that shot is yep. feet and I've, it's it's just one of those things that people accept I feel like it's progressively
1: th- throughout his career, it's gotten more and more blatant.
0: Like yeah.
1: It started off kind of subtle and then every single movie the, the, the foot shots have just gotten yeah. more and more gratuitous yeah. to the point where he's not even hiding it anymore. Yeah he no. knows it's public knowledge. Yeah, no. And now he's just going like, Yeah, here's here's a woman's feet in the oh, camera. Yeah. In his last I film- wonder what the I wonder what the the screenplay says. I wonder what the the script says. You know, it's like, like yeah. Um, oh, who's the who's the hippie girl from uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? It's like yeah, you gotta put your feet on the dashboard like right in front of the camera. It's like you should have you should have expected it. You know, it's my yeah. movie. Like it's in your contract. Yeah. Or go Robbie too. It's like. Well, you know, like,
0: like any, those um, like any, like, like the other aspects of any filmmaker, including Tarantino, you know, he becomes more and more engulfed in his style and what he wants to do as the films go on. And that's especially true for, like, successful artists, you know time and time again yeah. he's putting out these bangers that people love. And so not only does the studio give him more leeway, but he is just more and more convinced that he everything he wants to do is what people want to see. And I yeah. you can see that in his films, as his films progress, they become more and more down the Tarantino rabbit hole. Um, for better yeah. or for worse. Um, but I, I do think it's important for us to take this time to acknowledge who he is as a person. You know we're pointing out some weird aspects to him. But besides that, I do think it is admirable that he clearly has a very strong love for film and his fil- his movies are constantly um, paying homage to early American cinema and yeah. Japanese cinema and Italian cinema. And he's constantly, you know, flexing his knowledge of film in a way that is um, enjoyable to watch. So, so with that being said, is there anything else you want to say about Tarantino, the person, before we talk about the films? Gotta say, he he feels like
1: he's trying really hard. I, I'm trying to find a different way to phrase this, but there's no other way to phrase it. He's trying really hard to earn, earn his N-word pass, right?
0: Dude, uh, dude, he really dude, wants to,
1: we'll talk about
0: We'll talk about it more, but we'll talk about it soon. But I have a lot to say about that um, because we'll, we'll get to it. But Nat- Natalie hasn't seen a lot of Tarantino films. And recently I showed her... Um, like a couple of years ago, I showed Fiction. her Django Unchained. Oh, um, yep, yep. And then, like a few weeks ago, I showed her Pulp Fiction. Um, and she's okay. also she, we also sat down to watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but um, we turned it off an hour. We tur- we watched two out of three hours because she just she couldn't get wow. through it. Um, wow. So. So that's her experience, but we'll get we'll get to that because that's kind of when you brought up Tarantino. The reason I wanted I said yeah, let's do it for the podcast is because I kind of have been thinking about him recently. So, um,
1: yeah, perfect.
0: I was thinking we could go through it on release order, um, because I think it's interesting. So that yeah, would, that would start us with um, with Reservoir Dogs. Do you remember the last time you've seen it? I don't remember
1: the last time I've seen it, but I know the first time I saw it, I watched it with my brother. I'm pretty sure Uh, it was like late at night. It was in my room and it was on TV actually. And, um, it's a great movie. Like in terms of debut films for directors and, and I believe it had a pretty low budget as well. Uh, I would say it's, it's fantastic given what he had. Um, He wrote the script, right? Like
0: Yeah, yeah, no. It was his it was his first he didn't he um he wrote and directed it.
1: Yeah. Um very cool movie, very intense. It it sets the style. Like you can see um what he's getting at there, and then it gets more and more developed in pretty much every one of his movies. Um it's it's kind of quintessential Tarantino. It's like exactly what you think of when you think tarantino it's a bunch of dudes criminals in you know slick uh suits um with cool cool code names up with cool code names arguing with each other uh under very intense you know situations yeah and um and that's kind of that's kind of tarantino in a nutshell right there right
0: yeah, you know? I mean,
1: so many of his other movies are the exact same kind of thing, just uh, different styles, different um, setups, you know, what have you. I,
0: I, I would say this is one of my one of my favorites that he's done. Um, it it's it it like you said, it really is the perfect like directorial debut because it, it really shows you exactly what you need to know from this guy. Um, mm. It's violent. It's funny. It's dark. Um, it's mostly dudes talking to each other and arguing, and it sets up it sets up a really important part of Tarantino, which is that most of Tarantino's films are structured like a stage play. They yeah. they take place in only a small handful of locations most of the time. You're spending. Bulks of the movie in these small intimate spaces where people are just talking to each other, but it's a very, very specific kind of dialogue. It's, it's realistic dialogue. It's dialogue that when you listen to it, it sounds like a genuine conversation, but at the same time, it's heightened. You know what I mean? It's like this, it's this, funnier quicker version of real dialogue and it's nearly impossible to write dialogue like that and i think that's why that's why tarantino is where he is today is because for whatever reason he's able to ride that line between real dialogue and like this heightened sense of I, i don't know i don't even know how to describe it but you know what i'm talking about
1: right I know exactly what you're talking about. He captures a style that no one else can quite imitate. You can tell if it is or isn't a Tarantino movie based on things like the dialogue, based on things like the the pacing as well, right? Um, and this is a good example of you know Tarantino's unique kind of form of pacing, right? Um, that, you know, he meanders a little bit on certain scenes, certain conversations. Um, things that like, don't even seem to pertain to the plot, um, at first, or even things that don't pertain to the plot at all, no matter how many times you watch it. And yet that's what helps build this world. Right. I mean, the, one of the famous scenes in the movie is at the beginning, I think it was the beginning where they're all sitting at at this diner. They're all talking about whether or not you should, it's the
0: opening scene of the movie.
1: Yeah, I think. Yeah. So it's the first scene of the movie. And they're all talking about, like, tipping and, like, Mr. Pink, I think, Steve Buscemi, he's like, yeah, I don't think you should tip. And, you know, he's like, I remember they have this, this whole the, argument the about
0: it. And the older guy is like, what the fuck are you yeah. talking about? Everyone else at the table is like, right. you're crazy. And it's like this interesting right. little tone setter.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it, it characterizes
0: them, you know? Uh, well, I think that's just it. Is that even if Tarantino's not afraid to put scenes in a film that, even if they have nothing to do with the plot or even anything to do with like specific elements of the movie, they he'll put a scene or or a piece of dialogue in that's strictly there to set tone and to build character. Like that's yep. the only reason it's there and. A lot of those elements are usually those elements along with other aspects of his films are kind of what shoehorn. I mean, let's just be honest. Tarantino like makes movies for dudes. I mean, it, am I crazy for saying that? You know what I mean? Like, Not he makes. Crazy.
1: I think you're. I think you're right on point for saying that. Honestly,
0: like, and and I don't mean I don't mean men or guys. I mean like he makes movies for dudes. You know what I mean? And and so a lot of times when he makes these little, he throws these little pieces of dialogue and these little scenes in where people are just kind of bitching at each other. Um, they're very like relatable because they kind of they kind of tune into that like weird. I don't know. I think it's very reliable to a lot of guys who just talk about random crap to their friends that doesn't matter in any way. But, like, it matters to you in some weird internal sense because it's, like, defining your character to this other person. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, and that's that's exactly what Tarantino's doing in these movies. Um, The last time – it's funny that you say that because the last time I tried to watch a Tarantino movie, it it was with – uh, Sebastian and Shannon. Okay. And one of the things she said was, oh, this is just, this is just appealing to the male fantasy. And then Sebastian was like, yeah, that's why we watch it. The fuck? Like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. You know? Yeah. And I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. You know?
0: Yeah. No, I, I would agree. I don't and... think it's,
1: I don't think it's toxic in any way. You know, I just think it's, you know, dudes hanging out, like some scenes are just dudes hanging out, talking about, weird, random stuff that has nothing to do with anything that's going on. Um, but and that's, that's a, just that's just a, a unique way of establishing characters that you don't see in almost any other movies. Like, I feel like I never see that. Just characters talking about completely unrelated stuff.
0: Well, well okay, here's the thing. Is comedies and action comedies will try to do that all the time, but they're just not... They're not very well written or, you know what I mean? When they do try to do it, they're always doing it for a laugh. And to some extent, Tarantino is as well, but he's not, he's not telling jokes all of the time. You know what I mean? Like when, when you see these scenes in like, let's say Pulp Fiction or something like where, where, you know, um, John Travolta is just talking to, uh, what's, what's, uh, what's Marcellus Wallace's wife's name in that movie? Is that Uma Thurman? Uma, Uma Thurman. It, it, it I don't know weird. what her name was. Yeah. So when John Travolta and Uma Thurman, like there's plenty of scenes where they're just kind of like shooting the shit with each other and it's not yeah. outright funny, but it's well written enough to still be captivating because it still feels like a real conversation. And because of that, yeah. when they do arrive at a joke, it, it's usually better because it's not mm-hmm. surrounded by fake movie dialogue. And so in other comedies and action comedies, they will have these moments where they try to build character with irrelevant dialogue, but it's it's painfully obvious what they're doing. And so it feels like a completely yeah. different thing when Tarantino does it because for whatever reason he's really good at putting that that onto paper, you know that random like mm-hmm. spur of the moment male fantasy, whatever you, and, and, and like you said, it's not necessarily toxic either because when he does, when he does portray women as, as rare as it is, when he does it, he does it in the right way. And I think that's kind of why he has survived so long without offending mass swaths of people is because when he does have a woman on screen, they are usually a very strong, character. You know what I mean? They're not this damsel in distress or this like throwaway person. Like usually they hold a very special specific place in the story when they do appear. So it's an interesting dynamic.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um I think with that uh, you know there is a I guess there is one more scene we could talk about in Reservoir Dogs, which is uh perhaps the most infamous scene in the movie with uh, that Steeler's wheel song stuck in the middle with you. Yeah. Um. That scene is absolutely crazy and horrifying yeah. and amazing. Yeah. And I love it. I can't hear that song without thinking of that scene. I mean,
0: and I, I think that scene along with a few others are indicative of the quality of direction that that was to come from Tarantino because we've been going on and on about his writing, which is spectacular, but it's important to remember that he is also a spectacular director. You know what I mean? The shots that he gets in that scene that you're referencing are really cool. Um, You know, there, I I think there's a, after he, after he cuts that guy's ear off the camera, like pans to a phrase on the wall that says like, watch your head you know, that you would see in any factory or something. And that's obviously a more like kind of a, kind of a silly cut, but it's, it's these little pieces that go to show that Tarantino is, has a lot of talent behind the camera as well. And later on, I think he gets – he really dives into that even more so, whereas Reservoir Dogs is more focused on, like, the character development, the writing, the plot. You're not – you know, what, most of this – most of the movies just shot, like, a typical – like, a stage play. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I, you know, it's also worth saying, like, it, it feels like an action movie, right? Yeah. Like, am I crazy for – it's? it feels like an action movie, but there's no – action
0: scenes that i can really think there, of there's, you know? there's only there's like one or two big action scenes um and they're later on in the film uh i, I really wouldn't say it feels like an action movie it has an action it's i mean it's like it's like the it's like the part of an action movie that you don't really see much of, or there'll be like one yeah. scene in a movie where everyone's like, "What the hell happened?" and that's like one scene in the movie. But right. in Rise of War Dogs*, like that's the movie. You know what I mean? So, right, right. Um, so it's set it's set within an action movie, but it's it's not the action part of the movie. So. Um I I think that's good. I think we can move on. Um I never saw a True Romance and he only wrote it. You didn't see it either, so I guess we can skip it. I haven't it.
1: seen it either, so we could skip that.
0: The next one was Pulp Fiction, which was obviously a massive success to this day. It's probably like every, it's like the cliche like guy in film 101 ask him what his favorite yep. movie is and he's probably going to say Pulp Fiction. Um and I just want to get out ahead of this and say I think Pulp Fiction is overrated. Um that being said, I would still give it like a soft 8 out of 10. Maybe like I'd say it fits right around there. I do think it is a great movie, but rewatching it, it's definitely not my favorite Tarantino film. There's several others I would put above it.
1: And I would I would agree it's not my favorite Tarantino movie. And as you said, like, this is the, the college freshman, you know, part or uh, dorm room poster, you know, yeah. Yeah. uh, it's the, it's the, I, it's the, I love film movie. Yeah. You no. Know? Yeah. Uh, the, the performative, I love film movie where you got to tell everyone that you love movies and this is the movie. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's a great movie. It's I not my favorite Tarantino movie um i really love this introduces kind of a new um sort of a new element to Tarantino movies that ends up becoming kind of a mainstay which is he's not chained to the typical movie format in the sense of like oh we've got to tell the events in order because Fiction blatantly does not do that you know it it tells the events completely out of order um it goes from plot line to plot line. It's like, okay, what are we talking about now? Oh, it's a, a drug overdose at Marcellus Wallace's house, and like that's the plot right now, and all of that is just to characterize this criminal who is then going to be killed by the you know what I think is the main character, Bruce Willis later um.
0: I have something to say to about that saying. though. Like yeah. I, it bothers me that everyone brags about how Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction doesn't have, Pulp Fiction has a nonlinear storyline. Rewatching Pulp Fiction, dude, 99% of the movie is told in a normal linear storyline. 99% of the movie, the movie it starts with, there's the whole diner scene, which obviously it takes place, you know, that that the opening shot is the two random people arguing with each other at the diner and they stand up and they start robbing the place and then it goes into the real movie. Okay. So ignoring that opening scene, the movie 99% of the time just follows like, it's like Samuel Jackson and, and John Travolta, like go to that apartment building they they you know do their whole amazing scene with that guy then we switch to Bruce Willis and he you know does his little deal with Marcellus Wallace and then it switches back to the two dude like really the movie doesn't go out of order till the very until the third act and in the third act then it starts telling stuff in like different orders which is like kind of interesting but the reason that most people are able to like get into pulp fiction is because like i would say a good 70% of the film the first 70% are told in a linear order they just kind of jump to a couple different characters and then at the end of it they tell you a story that happened earlier on that's really all that's all it is
1: yeah I, yeah i mean you're not i don't think you're wrong i mean i'd have to rewatch it it's been a while since i've seen it but um i still think that's a unique way to tell a story and it the, the way it ends The conclusion of the film is with a character who goes through more stuff earlier in the film. I don't know. I think that's kind of cool. It ends on a... But what's the line at the end? Isn't there a, a famous line from Samuel L. Jackson? Am I? Well,
0: well, yeah, there's, well, okay, so I just saw this movie. He has his whole, you know, his whole spiel that he tells the people before he kills them. It, it's the, it's the biblical verse about um, yeah. the Lord and the shepherd and stuff. And at the very end of the movie, they tell the story. So what happens is they go over to rob that one ap- that to to kill that dude that wronged Marcellus Wallace at the beginning of the film. And after they kill that guy, some dude jumps out of the out of the bathroom and unloads their gun on the two guys, and every bullet misses them. And so they kill that guy. And then Samuel Jackson has an epiphany, and he says that was a miracle. That's that's crazy. So then they grab the one guy that they didn't kill, um, Marvin. They get in the car, they start driving, and John Travolta accidentally kills Marvin. So then they go over to Quentin Tarantino's house, the wolf helps him clean up the car, and then they go to the diner where they run into the couple that's robbing the diner. And because Samuel Jackson just had this awakening, he sits down with the 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 robber, the guy robbing the diner, and they have this whole conversation about how Samuel Jackson wants to be a better person and how he's been reinterpreted. I have chills talking about how he's reinterpreting that scripture that he's always said to people about how, you know, maybe I don't remember exactly what he says, but it's something like maybe I'm the shepherd and you're the evil, or maybe like I'm the shepherd and the world is the evil, or he's like, maybe I'm the evil of the world, but I'm trying really hard to be the shepherd. Um, So it's like this really interesting, like, his arc is probably the most non-linear part of the movie. Yeah. And the most interesting. I think there's
1: there's something to be said about the kind of, the dichotomy between Samuel L. Jackson's character and John Travolta's character, and how um, Samuel L. Jackson decides he's going to change his ways, he's going to become a better person, he's going to, I mean, from my memory, he, he commits to, Sort of ending his life of crime. Whereas John Travolta is like, I don't know what you're talking about, man. And he ends up getting gunned down by Bruce Willis's character.
0: Yeah, well, um, basically, yeah, that's what happens. Is basically Samuel Jackson is like, I'm just gonna wander the earth and help people and go on adventures. And John Travolta's like, So you're gonna be a bum. Like, there's a word for yeah. people like that. It's called the bum. And then because Samuel Jackson isn't there. like isn't partners anymore with John Travolta when John Travolta goes over to Bruce Willis's house and goes to take a dump. No one is there to watch the front door when Bruce Willis comes home. And so that's why John Tra- and, but also John Travolta is kind of a dunce the whole movie. Um, that's kind of his character. He's like this kind of like yeah, that's true. He's like an everyday man. He's like constantly making like these small mistakes, but he's not like a straight up idiot about it. He's just kind of like he even gives like the wolf some back talk. You know, the wolf like doesn't say please one time, and John Travolta is like, you could have said please. And it's like this whole, like he's kind of a duncey guy. So like he goes True. he goes to take a dump and he leaves his gun on the kitchen counter and right. so Bruce Willis like picks up the gun and just murders murders him with it so Um, but I I will say and Natalie said the same thing um, the Bruce Willis storyline is like pretty unneed like I wouldn't say unneeded because it serves a purpose but it's the most random part of the movie especially towards the end of the film where where, like they end up in the pawn shop basement and like the whole like gimp scene happens and it's like it doesn't relate to anything else in the movie and there's really no payoff for it it's just there to wrap up Bruce Willis's storyline and it's a cool scene like it's it's very interesting and memorable but it really serves no thematic purpose i mean
1: it's interesting that you'd say that because my read of the movie is that bruce willis is the main protagonist he's the good guy of the movie but if he it doesn't told, show the up more...
0: until i mean he he has like one scene in the middle of the movie and then like the third act is like where he really shines so Kind of. I mean, the movie ends with him winning. You know what I mean? But he's not in a lot of the movie.
1: I mean, yeah. If it was told in a more traditional fashion, Bruce Willis would be the main character. He'd be there from the beginning to end. And it would be a story of him um, escaping from this violent gang that, you know, fixed this boxing match that he then, uh, you know, went, went against the deal And he, it's the story of him escaping them. And, you know, he doesn't really do, as far as I can think, he doesn't really do anything wrong in the movie. He, he's like a little bit, a little verbally abusive to his girlfriend. Well, it's interesting. Kind of yeah, negative. but even
0: he—he he gets really pissed when she forgets the watch. But then he even immediately—and again, this is this—goes to show that Tarantino really knows what he's doing when he's writing, because that's a great scene, is where they're about to leave. They're getting ready to flee the the town because they know that Marcellus Wallace is going to try to kill him, and. They don't have the watch and it's the it's the whole, Bruce Willis has to go back to the, his apartment to get this watch that means so much to him. And when he yeah. realizes that his girlfriend didn't pack the watch, he starts throwing things around the room and he's super pissed off. But then immediately afterward, he like apologizes, He like sits down. He's like, it's not your fault. I should have told you how important the watch was to me. And I didn't express that properly to you. Like he gets like super apologetic and articulate. Yeah, it's a very interesting scene.
1: Yeah, I mean, but I still think, you know, just real quick getting back to my point, I still think that um you know, in a traditional sense, Bruce Willis would be the, the main protagonist. Uh and then, you know, the you know, Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta, they're the villains, you know. Marcellus Wallace ends up on good terms with him, but he's kind of the the big boss bad guy. Um Tarantino kind of shifts the uh, what would be the traditional story, spends a lot more time characterizing the bad guys, and um, instead of you know Bruce Willis ending up killing Marcellus Wallace or something, it's something totally way different happens, um, and I, I think that's kind of what Tarantino's style is. It's kind of putting a twist on traditional stories in a way that's uniquely Tarantino that no other writer or director really does.
0: Yeah, and and um, like you said he he approaches he takes a traditional storyline and he approaches it from a different angle, right? That that you know like we said right. with Reservoir Dogs, he's he's taking a traditional story about a heist and he's approaching it from a very a very different angle where he's focusing on this one tiny little aspect of it and and twisting the narrative in a way you haven't seen. In pulp fiction, Bruce Willis's storyline, if you look at it beat for beat, most closely resembles a traditional <laughs> the train dude, I love it.
1: Um, oh yeah.
0: I was going to say um his Bruce that? Willis's storyline most closely resembles a traditional protagonist's storyline, right? But the movie is structured in a way where – John Travolta's character structurally is the protagonist of the film. He has the most screen time there. He interacts with the most variety of characters. You know, he starts the film with Samuel Jackson. Then he has a giant chunk of the film with Uma Thurman. And then he has a big chunk at the end of the film. Again, with Samuel Jackson, like structurally the protagonist of the film is Samuel Jackson, but, from a traditional standpoint, if you look at a story beat for beat, his story doesn't really have like a, tr- a tr- like an arc really at all. Yeah, he doesn't – his character doesn't
1: develop yeah. in any way that I can think of.
0: And yet he has the most screen time and he is interesting to watch throughout. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I don't know if you knew this, but this was this role for him was a huge renaissance in his career. Like you know he he had right. Greece, and then he had a couple of movies here and there since then. But you know when when they cast uh John Travolta in this movie, it was seen as a controversial move because people didn't really think he could pull off a a, a strong film like this. Um, and and he killed it. Obviously, I, everyone in this movie. I mean, I don't know if it's just the writing or the directing. I don't know what it is, but Tarantino's able to take these, like, actors that are great actors. Don't get me wrong, but he's able to, like, get, like, A-plus performances out of everyone in his films. So,
1: it, I mean, as you said, like, before this, what people knew John Travolta for was basically Saturday Night Fever, yeah. you know? Yeah. Which is a completely... It goes without saying, completely absurd choice, but in hindsight, it was perfect. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It, it's an interesting point that you made that... So, traditionally, um, Bruce Willis would have been the protagonist. Stru- uh, structurally, as you said, John Travolta was kind of the protagonist because he had the most screen time, but then I would argue... Thematically, to add sort of a third axiom to this, Samuel Jackson. I would say thematically, Samuel Jackson is the main character, right? Yeah. He goes through the biggest character arc. Yeah. And he he kind of you know has a spiritual awakening, kind of an epiphany within him. Yeah. That fundamentally changes his character. So and basically, so, what Tarantino it's kind of did. It's interesting
0: how. Basically, what Tarantino did is he sat down and he looked at a story about about these two people about a care two people that want out of the life of crime but for different reasons you've got bruce willis that wants to escape crime because he wants to get his money he wants to get out he wants to never think about crime again and then you've got this character samuel jackson that wants to get out of crime because he's had a spiritual reawakening he thinks that he's made for a better purpose and then tarantino says well what's the character that connects these two people this the, the middle guy who is the middle guy and let's make the movie mostly focus on this middle guy and tell the other character stories through him which is pretty awesome
1: (laughs) yeah it it really is
0: and it makes me want to
1: watch Pulp Fiction again I I think that's so cool Um,
0: now I will say go ahead go ahead
1: I I was just going to say it tells the story of what normally would be the least interesting guy he would be the henchman you know, in a typical crime movie, you know? But then it tells the story of him and then the people who could have been the protagonists kind of uh kind of take a back seat in some ways. Yeah. So I, I yeah, that's that's Tarantino for you.
0: Now I will say, um, and then we gotta wrap this up so we can keep it moving. I um Natalie and I were pretty turned off by tarantino scene in this movie oh um i do we need to talk about this one we need to talk about it tarantino okay i don't i don't necessarily think that inherently it's wrong to have white people drop the n-word in a movie um, if you do it right and it serves a thematic purpose, if you do it in a way that is clearly either racist or a sign of the times, like in, like you know what I mean, in a way where it's like self-aware, I don't think inherently there's a problem with it. Where we run, especially if it's written in like a funny way, because on paper that scene is very funny and the the actual lines that are said. As vulgar as they are, they're pretty funny, but you run into problems when you are writing and directing the scene that you are also starring in, and you're allowing yourself to drop the N-word, like, a billion times. I think it's just, it's very uncomfortable to watch, and on rewatch, like, Natalie and I were sitting there, like, kind of, like, sucking our teeth, like... I don't know about this. Cause he just keeps saying it. Oh, like he says right. it a lot. And, and if it was, if Tarantino just cast some guy in that scene, we wouldn't have thought twice about it. But the fact that he cast himself in the scene where the white guy like drops the N word more than like any other time in the movie, it's just like, why?
1: It is very strange. I mean,
0: I will say there's a lot of shock. Yeah, I mean, it's done in a shot. It's like shock comedy, but but it's like the character. It's just why would you cast yourself to be the guy that's like racistly throwing out the N word a billion times? Like, why do you have to be that guy?
1: It's very strange, and it's um, it makes me, you know. You don't even have to wonder. It, it, it's all but guaranteed at this point. Tarantino's got some ulterior motives when he's making pretty much every movie he makes, right? Like, did his he ulterior just make motives the whole movie are
0: so that he could drop are, the N-word in front of Samuel right. L. Jackson. Right.
1: He needs to he wants to say the N-word and he wants to see women's feet. He wants to see women's like, bare feet. Like those tr- are his
0: like traditionally like traditionally no. if a if a rich white guy wanted to say the n-word they would just say it in front of their black friends but tarantino has to approach the script from a unique perspective where instead he's gonna write an oscar-winning movie <laughs> built around the idea of him being able to drop the n-word in the middle of it all right we had a, we had a little bit of a weird cut there but um i think we get the idea uh pulp fiction yeah. great movie questionable choice to the role that he cast himself in um i'm gonna say okay so moving on he did he did the screenplay for a movie called four rooms never heard of it he heard of it either he did the screenplay for and starred in from dusk till dawn which i have not seen it sounds like you have a lot to say about it but i have not seen it uh, myself
1: it's one of my favorite Tarantino-related movies. Really? Um, I wouldn't say it's my favorite. It's it's close though. It's like top two or top three. Wow. Um, it's an incredible movie to show to someone who knows nothing about it. Okay. Um, which that is why might I, be me. I, I'm
0: gonna avoid. Wait, what? I was gonna, that might be me.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna avoid saying too much, but man, oh man starts off like a normal Tarantino movie it it feels like Tarantino directed the first half or two-thirds of the movie um you know crime drama two guys in black suits um running from the law they uh find a family in an rv because they're trying so they're trying to cross the border into mexico because once they get there they're home free you know they're they're Officially escaped from the law at that point. So they find a family going to vacation to Mexico in an RV, go in there, hold them, hold them at gunpoint. And, um, villains are sympathetic. You know, they are our main characters, right? The kind of, uh, the family there who are just innocent victims. They're of course also sympathetic. So we're kind of, we kind of feel for both of them. We want them to get along. They end up going to a, uh, a biker bar. I think just just south of the border in Mexico. They end up going to a, a bar called the Titty Twister. And, of course. Um I think that's where I have to stop talking. Okay, it takes it, it takes a turn there. It takes a turn. It's okay. Incredible.
0: We should watch incredible. it sometime. We should watch it sometime. We
1: absolutely should. We absolutely should. There's a there's a series um based on it. You know, also called from Dust till dawn, like a TV show, which I show. think is a really good. Yeah, I think it's really good. Okay. It's also worth watching. Um, the first season of that show is just the movie, but um, it's also really good. I would highly recommend the movie and the show. So okay, that's all I'm gonna say.
0: I I'm surprised I did not know that it was like a particularly good film. I've because I've just never so seen fun. it. But uh, I am interested in watching it, and I thank you for not saying too much because it sounds like one that I would like to just experience, so I appreciate that. do not look up anything
1: about it, and definitely don't – definitely don't – if you go to it on, like, a streaming service like Netflix or whatever, don't even read the description. Okay. Because last time it was on Netflix, the, the description literally just spoils what happens. Yeah. Don't do that.
0: Okay. Um, the Watch next it. movie is one. So there's only two movies directed by Tarantino that I have not seen. This next one is one of them. It came out in 1997. It was written and directed by Tarantino. It's called Jackie Brown. I have, I have not, not seen. seen I have not seen Jackie oh. Brown.
1: Okay. I almost watched it today to prepare. Yeah. And I was like, ah. Eh. Either Jiro's is seeing it or, or not. Yeah, no, no.
0: I, I just I haven't seen it. I would like to see it. Um I, I apparently yeah, it's kind too. of like I hear that it kind of like um pays homage to like blacks boy spoi- blacks sp- how do you say the word blacksploitation. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear it. he like watched a bunch of those and basically made Jackie Brown. Apparently it's pretty good. I've just never seen it. Um so unfortunately I can't really speak too much on it. Um, but i think it's got like good reviews and stuff and it made it made a fuckload of money in the box office so um yeah i would love to see it i just i don't Samuel know why jackson's in it. it Just kind of an under michael keaton's in it wow, robert robert de niro robert de niro's in it what? <laughs> uh and then of course like a bunch of famous black actors you know chris tucker
1: just kind of flies below the radar in terms of tarantino movies
0: yeah so, i don't um, know I, maybe i have to watch it maybe for racist reasons but um, oh okay i i don't i mean it got it it um best supporting actor oscar nomination but no win um but yeah, it, it definitely feels like it's one of like the lesser-known Tarantino films or lesser-talked right. about. You know what I mean? Like, um, And then right. the other one that I haven't seen, which is coming up later on in 2007, I also just never hear about. So um, I'm not sure. But the last one that we can talk about, and I think it's apt before we cut this episode off and we'll have to do a follow-up episode, 2003 – written and directed by Tarantino, Kill Bill Volume 1. Um in my opinion like top tier Tarantino. And when and this it's like the perfect example of you know there's there's two different types of movies that you can make about well, there's more than two but the are two best ways to make a movie about a woman is number one you make a movie like ladybird where you make a movie mm. about a woman that is integral to the female experience or you make a movie that like could have starred a dude but instead it stars a woman and that's what kill bill is where kill bill like she's not the protagonist isn't necessarily like she's not really feminine like she there are feminine aspects to her character but it's really just a baller action movie starring a woman
1: yeah i mean um let's see i've only seen the two kill bill movies once each um and it's been at least i want to say three years now um and I liked that. I still remember them pretty well. Yeah. Um I remember one being more like a Kung Fu movie and the other being more like a Western movie. Am I misremembering that or is that correct?
0: Um I don't they kind that's of the they I kind remember. of blend for me as well. Cuz the second one is where she actually does the kung fu training. But yeah, that's both true. movies heavily I mean, both movies kind of blend this and that's what makes them so good is that they blend Western, a typical Western revenge story with right. like Kung Fu samurai action. And they kind of take those two styles and blend them together. Um, and it's, again, everything that we've talked about with Tarantino, Tarantino so far, except he basically decided to make an action movie and turn the violence up to 11. You know, like there's yeah. blood splurting everywhere in like unrealistic ways. Like, you know, if if you're talking about appealing to the male fantasy, this is the movie that appeals to like the violent aspect of the yep. male fantasy. You know what I mean? It's like every baller, violent thing you could imagine that like a dude would want to see in a movie. You're going to find it in Kill yep. Bill.
1: Yep another uh another major theme to tarantino movies is the ultra violence and yeah. this is it like it's uh i mean the way the story is kind of unfolded it, it, if i remember correctly you don't really know right away why why she hates bill correct am I, I i yeah she you don't really know right away and then they kind of reveal it throughout the movie um lots of cool yeah they blend together. Like I'm trying to remember the difference between the first and the
0: second one. They definitely um, blend. And on purpose. I mean, it is one story. Yeah, I, mean, they are. I mean, even, yeah. in, even in Tarantino's eyes, he counts them as one film. Um, and I'm yeah. sure, I'm sure if he were to release it today, he probably would just release it as a five hour film because that's who Tarantino is now. Um, right. But yeah, you're correct. The movie kind of just drops you into the storyline of this girl, this woman that's just killing she has a kill list literally and you don't really know why and throughout the film you you learn pieces of who bill is and what her story is and um i haven't seen it in a long time either so even i couldn't tell you specific like i i i remember a lot of the more broad plot points but um, I remember it being amazing and it's got it's got phenomenal acting, it's got phenomenal writing, and the the direction in it is really I mean, this is one of those films where I mean pulp fiction was directed incredibly as well. It looks great. There are shots that are just blow your mind. Like, how did he even think to do that? Like, but yeah. this movie is like He takes those those elements of like a Western film or a Japanese film with the with the hard cuts and there's even like an anime scene in it like he yeah that's right the visuals are really spectacular the 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 color contrast like it's it is an action movie to its core and in a much more traditional sense than a lot of his other movies are but that being said it's still like it's a Tarantino movie at its heart, which means it has great writing. It has great dialogue and the characters are actually interesting. They're not these one dimensional I mean, the protagonist doesn't even have a name until the last like 10 minutes of the second film. And you still like grow you still like want to follow this character. You know what I mean? So uh, it, it, it is, it's full of those little moments, right. That just build character.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, one thing I want to say about the, about the Kill Bill movies is I feel like they should have been one movie, you know? Like, I feel like there's a lot that could have been cut out and I feel like the second one is definitely weaker than the first one.
0: I don't remember. Um, I
1: just, re- I just remember the second one, not having a lot of great fight scenes. The first one absolutely does where it, there's a, a huge confrontation with the main or well not the main the secondary villain was like the I guess the main henchman of Bill um her name was a uh, Gogo I'm, she, I'm the chick it with the right eye patch?
0: Now. Yeah, I think so. Or no, I don't know. She's one of the big I, I, there's a whole list of them, right? There's a whole list of they I mean she has like a whole list of people to kill before she gets to Bill. Um and I do right. I do agree again I don't it's been a long time since I've seen both of them and they sort of blend together in my mind for most people. But I do think you're right in that the first film is much more focused on like a ton of action scenes and a ton of violence. And then the first movie ends and she's like halfway through her list or maybe a little bit more than halfway through her list. And it's like, you basically just needed the third act You know what I mean? Where it's like, we need to wrap up the story of the film of like killing, like confronting bill and everything. And, you know, you're probably right. He probably could have cut a bunch of shit and turned it into like a three hour movie. But, um, I don't, I mean, he just wasn't that guy, you know, he, he wasn't maybe, or maybe he was that guy, but audiences weren't ready for it. I mean, back in 2003, you know, we didn't have the same media landscape where people would sit down and, and binge five hours of TV. And it really wasn't, I mean, some, we were getting there. It was the, it was the beginning of that, but it wasn't until much later on and much more recently that movie creators understood there was an audience for people that wanted to sit down and watch a three hour movie if not more and so i think he just realized like this is gonna like i have too much i mean it's tarantino he doesn't want to cut anything from his movies you think that guy's gonna cut a single scene like any scene that he cuts probably tears him up inside you know what i mean so right uh, i mean you're right someone else some other company would have turned this into one movie that was like two and a half hours long and we wouldn't have seen half of what we what was what was in these two films
1: yeah i mean Tarantino is the guy who put the conversation about the Royale with cheese. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? He doesn't
0: want to cut anything. Like yeah. anything at all like he well because um, he's I, you get the feeling that he's a little narcissistic that's what makes a good artist yeah. is he thinks that everything he makes is 10 out of 10 and if you disagree you just don't understand it you know what i mean he's right. that he's that type of movie creator which is why later on in 2015 and 2019 we got the hateful eight and once upon a time in hollywood which are like right. eight hour movies you know what i mean where it's like it's that's the epitome of like Tarantino knows there's an audience for long films. And so not only is the hateful eight really long, but there's a Netflix version. That's even longer. That's like five or six hours long. So I just think he was a little before his time in terms of how long the story was that he wanted to tell. So he split it into two movies, but in interviews now, when you ask him about it, he counts it as one movie. So whatever. Yeah. And I think we can end our podcast there. If we want to talk a little bit more about part two in the next episode, we can do so. And then we're coming up on like probably our favorite Tarantino films in the next episode. Yeah. Like I would yeah, say, absolutely. I would say after this, he starts putting out like the real keynote 10 out of 10s. So I'm very interested for that episode. Um But of the films we discussed today, which one is your favorite?
1: Let's see. We talked about Reservoir Dogs. We talked about the Kill Bill movies,
0: Pulp um, Fiction. What else do we? Dusk Till fiction. Dawn.
1: You know what? I'm gonna say out of the movie, out of the movies we discussed today, I would say From Dusk Till Dawn is my favorite.
0: <laughs> really, dude? We barely even Absolutely. talked about it. Oh Absolutely. My gosh.
1: Okay. I mean, well, yeah, you need to see it, man. Like it's a, it's a, it's a ride. Like,
0: <laughs> it's a ride.
1: Like I've watched it more times than any other movie we've talked about here. Okay. Okay. Like It's just, it, it's so fun. It's just so fun to watch.
0: Okay. For me, you just, gotta, you just gotta see it. For me personally, my favorite of the ones we've talked about today is probably Reservoir Dogs. um, it's really close with pulp fiction i like them for very different reasons pulp fiction is a much more accessible movie um reservoir dogs is it's it's gonna be harder for some people to watch because it is just dudes talking for like two and a half hours or whatever but um awesome movie i can't believe it's his first one so um with that being said thanks for joining me uh hopefully within the next week or so we can record the next episode and we'll take it from there all right. Thanks, Jimbo. Thanks, Giro. See you later. See you, man. Peace. Well, that is it for today's episode of Movies with Giro. I appreciate you guys listening, watching, as always. Um, come on back for next episode if you want to hear part two. Like I said in the podcast, I think the second half of Tarantino's filmography is a little bit more interesting and has some of my favorite films in it. So I'm really excited to talk about those films. Um, Again, follow me on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Um, You can find me by just typing in with G-R-O-S-E, with G-Rose. And yeah, I hope you guys keep on coming back. Thanks for listening. See you later. Peace.